Again this week, I have swapped the order of the scripture readings. So we'll hear the New Testament reading first, and then later the Old Testament reading upon which the sermon will be based. The New Testament reading is from the Gospel according to John in the 15th chapter, one verse only, verse 5, and there's a, a reason for that which will become clear in a little bit, I hope. So I invite you once again to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. And so our Old Testament reading will sound familiar after that hymn. It comes to us from... 28th chapter of Genesis, beginning at verse 10 and continuing through verse 19. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place, stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give to you and to your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and all of the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. So that place which had been known as Luz, is henceforth called Bethel, at least by Jacob. And I find it interesting that he who gives this place a new name, which in Hebrew translates as house of God, would himself eventually be renamed by this very same God that he meets there. 
Another divine visitation lay in store, which would lead to his transformation from Jacob to Israel. God, it seems, is full of surprises. Jacob happened to be the recipient of many surprises from the divine. In this morning's reading from Genesis, he is in the process of fleeing from his home in the edge of the Negev desert in mortal fear of the wrath of his brother Esau, for he had just usurped their father's blessing through a scheming act of deception concocted by his mother Rebekah. And he is on the run back to the ancestral home of his family in Haran. And on his way, Jacob stops for the night in a spot in the hill country, a dozen or so miles north of Jerusalem, in a region that would become known as Samaria. As it seems, he didn't have time to pack his handy my pillow in his knapsack. Jacob instead uses the next best thing as night falls and it's time to sleep. He lays his head down on a nice cushy rock. Must have been sufficient for him though because not only does he fall asleep on that rock, but he dreams while his head is on this stony headrest. The dream or vision which he has is the stuff of many a children's Sunday school lesson and accompanying song, Jacob sees a ladder, or perhaps a better translation might be a stairway to heaven. Upon the celestial elevator, there are angels ascending and descending, and the, the Lord appears beside it and has a special message for Jacob. Another blessing even greater than the one that he had just stolen from his father. For this one is truly given freely, and it is destined for this fleeing usurper. It is a promise, a promise of inheritance that he clearly hadn't earned, one that he couldn't manufacture for himself, one that We might think he didn't deserve. Certainly, he didn't deserve it in the eyes of his older brother. But here we are reminded again that God's plan and his divine will for his creation often doesn't follow the script that we would have written. And maybe that's not such a bad thing. In the book of the prophet Ezekiel, the people were given an oracle from God, which included these words. I will save them, my people, from all the apostasies into which they have fallen and will cleanse them. They shall be my people and I will be their God. My servant David shall be king over them and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall follow my ordinances and be careful to observe my statutes. They shall live in the land that I gave To my servant Jacob, in which your ancestors lived, they and their children and their children's children shall live there forever. 
and my servant David shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will bless them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is among them forevermore. Jacob woke that fateful morning knowing that he was in a very special place. It was, for him on that day, a liminal space. A liminal space is defined by the Cambridge Dictionary as being between or belonging to two different places, states, etc., the definition said. And I would add in realms to that, etc. In Celtic spirituality, there's a, a notion, of, an understanding of places that are said to be thin, where the barrier between this world and another is more porous than elsewhere in creation. Now, this may have been one of those in this moment when Jacob had an encounter with the living God at Luz, now Bethel. The vision was, as described, wondrous. And I'm tickled for him that he would there discover the nearness that is part of what makes this God so unique. But the hill country of Samaria is not God's only residence on earth. Jacob may have been at a gate to heaven, but it certainly isn't the only portal, as Jesus came to strikingly illustrate generations later. When the Almighty promises that he would be with Jacob, we are witness to an important and an enduring self-revelation about the nature of God himself that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. This attribute of God is quite distinctive. Unlike pretty much all the other gods known to and worshipped by the residents of that part of the world at the time, this God is not subject to the confines of geography. His dominion does not respect political boundaries. He is a God without borders. He is present with his people. And he goes before his people to prepare the way. This makes the God of Jacob and his offspring so powerfully unique. As this is the the same triune God we know as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this story of Jacob's encounter with the Almighty should be edifying for us as well that our God continues to be with us and to keep us wherever we go, to China, to Scotland, to New Jersey, to Tennessee, to Florida, 
to rehab centers, to jail, wherever we go, so goes God. As the psalmist was wise to observe, whither can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take my wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. For those of you who were part of this morning's Sunday school lesson in the fellowship hall, that's just a refresher of the text that Philip was repeating as a as a piece of scripture that Matthew might want to begin memorizing. I don't know if you knew this or not. Some of you probably did. But three days ago, we marked the 54th anniversary of the Apollo 11 lunar landing. One of those, those flashbulb memories sociologists describe as an event that is burned into the collective consciousness of an entire people. I bet most of you still remember where you were when it happened. Buzz Aldrin, who was the other guy to step out of the lander, in the shadow of Neil Armstrong, who preceded him, was a man of deep faith and an ordained elder in his Presbyterian church near Houston, Texas. And he quietly took communion while on the moon. It wasn't broadcast. He asked Mission Control for radio silence while it took place. But it had been prepared in advance with his pastor and the elders decently and in order, as we Presbyterians are. He took with him a small silver chalice for this very purpose, the gravity being just enough on the surface of the moon to allow the liquid to pour into the cup. So the first liquid poured and the first food eaten on the moon were the elements of the sacrament. He said in an interview later that it was symbolic of the thought that God was revealing himself there too as man reached out into the universe. He wrote and he spoke of his lunar voyage and of his later battles with depression and alcoholism that followed. And through it all, there was God Now, you certainly don't have to be a a somebody to come to that realization. For such knowledge, awesome though it may be, has been made freely available to everyone in every station, in every location. And it is also true that oftentimes we don't strongly sense the presence of God in whatever place or circumstance we're in. But... As the psychologist Carl Jung famously had written on a plaque beside the door of his house, bidden or not bidden, God 
is present. It is equally true that often we don't sense the presence of God until after the fact. Sometimes well after the fact, as a way is made when there seemed to be no way, or when we see that out of a failure, not only were we supported in the moment to get through the trial, but that it turns out to be what led to something far better than that which we had known before. Think of how the disciples must have felt at the crucifixion, and then at the resurrection, and then at the ascension, and then at Pentecost, and then at their own martyrdoms. As the refrain from a recent song that features Dolly Parton goes, in the waiting, in the searching, in the healing, in the hurting, like a blessing buried in the broken pieces every minute, every moment, where I've been and where I'm going, even when I didn't know it or I couldn't see it, there was Jesus. That can be, I think, at once a very comforting and a very disquieting thought. Comforting for the righteous, for we rest in the blessed assurance that despite the inequality between the one creator and all the billions upon billions of his good creations, each one is known by and to him. He knows who we are, for he is our maker. He knows where we are, for he is our redeemer. And he knows where we are going, for he is our savior. We are anything but anonymous to him. We live in him. This is why, for communion, Buzz Aldrin recited the fifth verse of the 15th chapter of the Gospel according to John, which we read as our New Testament text this morning. There's something very comforting about knowing that we are held so closely and nearly by such a loving God. And yet, for the unrighteous, this could be disconcerting. For those who would rather be left alone, God doesn't give up. He continues to pursue us to the ends of the earth, as the psalmist said, and, as Buzz Aldrin reminded us, even beyond. That goes to show Jacob and the generations that followed all the way up to our own are loved so much by the God who spoke us into being that there is nowhere that he wouldn't go for us. From the banks of the River Jordan to the banks of the River Styx, from the shores of the Sea of Galilee to the craters of the Sea of Tranquility, from a cattle stall in Bethlehem to a rugged cross on Calvary. Any place we go can be a liminal space, a sacred space, if we are awake to the presence of God there, a loving presence which is always with us. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God. And amen.